It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are here. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, we are back, and uh, Doug is here, but Jessica is in the comfortable confines of her home where she should be, and she joins us this morning on the phone lines. So, Doug, coming in from McKnight Road, I see that the Huskies are parked out front. You made it. (laughs) Yeah, it might have been the worst day I ever drove in here. One time, Jess and I drove in here the day after Snowmageddon, and that was, uh, (laughs) that might have been the worst. I'm not sure. Well, good morning. I'm Doug Oster from Everybody and Gardens. And it's not PennDOT's fault. No, come no. on, it's it's a uh, it's snow's yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. So people bang, quit banging on PennDOT. They're they're doing a great. It's job. actually better on this side of the tunnel than on that side of the uh, tunnel. Listen, uh, coming in this morning in the two o'clock hour, and obviously it was before a lot of this rain turned into freezing rain. It was pretty much smooth sledding for me. And, and again, I want to remind everyone, and we had Steve Cowan on. Sledding? Sledding. <laughs> we had Steve Cowan on earlier today from PennDOT. You're going to be hearing a lot of the interview with Melinda over the next couple of hours. We have AccuWeather. She's got you covered as far as the newsroom. 45 miles an hour on the highways, Allegheny, Beaver, Washington counties. And Doug, as you said, somebody passed you this yeah, morning. I'm driving Why a, would you do that? I'm driving a four-wheel drive truck at about 40 miles an hour, and somebody in a rear-wheel drive vehicle passed me on the freeway. Can it wait? All right. Well, let's, let's get our good morning. I'm Doug Oster from Everybody Gardens and the Tribune Review. And I'm horticulturist Jessica Wallace. I think that was Ashley that passed you. <laughs> she was probably trying to get here in a hurry. Oh, Jess, I'm glad you. I'm glad you stayed home because the only re- I, I figured with a truck I could make it here. But other than that, people stay home today. <laughs> the roads are just they're just awful. You know, there there was nothing you couldn't see any roads. So. No, listen, and with the ice out there, please just stay home, relax, and listen to the radio and put another log on the fire. Hey, we're going to give somebody that happens to be the tenth caller right now at four one two nine two two ten twenty a twenty five dollar gift certificate to Sorgles. So if you're the 10th caller, you'll win that gift certificate. So what would you two like to discuss today? By the way, we want to hear from you. This is a great day to think spring and talk about your garden and your plans. And all of our lines are open. You can reach Doug and Jess by dialing 866-391-1020. You can text us on that same number that you call in. That's the right automotive text line, the best deal in town, and Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdkradio.com. Doug. Well, Jess, actually, there is some good news about the snow. It's an insulator, right? Indeed. So any plant that uh, is out in your garden that is a little bit maybe marginally hardy, maybe you have one of the the hardier varieties of rosemary out there, when we get uh, cold weather like this, it's good to have snow because it does act as an insulator. It keeps those drying winter winds from, uh, you know, pulling moisture out of the leaves that are still on those types of plants. And so in that regard, it's good, uh, but it's certainly no fun to drive in. Uh, for me, with all these greens and stuff out in the in the garden, I was actually hoping to get some snow because it's going to get so cold. You know, five degrees they are forecasting, and that's that's the problem area for me is when I've got those greens out there and it gets that cold. You know, without snow, and that's what happened last year. It got real cold. We didn't have any snow cover, and I lost a lot of those greens. So. I'm not happy for the snow. I'm not happy to drive through the snow, but I'm happy for my plants. (laughs) 
Right. You have to find a positive in all of it. That, that's for sure. But, you know, most of the plants that we have planted out in our landscapes, you know, the, the trees and shrubs and perennials, if we've done a good job, we're choosing things that are hardy to, you know, zones five or zone six. Zone five is, those plants are hardy to minus 20 degrees. Um, zone six is minus 10 degrees. So it has to get really cold for us to risk for, you know, for a sustained period of time, for us to risk most of the trees and shrubs and perennials, but, but certainly in your case, in the vegetable garden, with your greens and things in the, in the cold frames, man, it, that's, this kind of weather is really tough to get them through. I got some bad news, too. I started walking through the garden yesterday, and I didn't know that deer eat witch hazel. And they ate about 90, really? 90% of the buds off, and you could just see all their hoof prints underneath that plant. And needless to say... I wasn't happy. I, I was saying a few choice words ab about that. So I'm going to have to get out there and spray that. But, I, you know, when I thought witch hazel, I, you know, I see them growing wild out on the on the edges of lakes and stuff and in, in the forest and don't see them bothered. And I was lo so looking forward to seeing those witch hazel bloom here in the winter. Well, you know, our suburban deer <laughs> have different diets uh, than deer out in rural areas do. And so I think... In your case, there's probably fewer wild things for them to eat, and so they're going to be more prone to eating things like witch hazel, though you're right. I've not heard of them eating witch hazel before either, um, but I don't grow it in my garden, so I'm not sure, but that is such a shame because... Oh, I, man, just, put, I just, put that, are... just put that plant in, you know, right at the end, oh. of, the, end of the season, and <laughs> I walked by it and saw, oh, saw all those buds gone and those footprints... It made me definitely fantasize about putting up a tree stand. <laughs> <laughs> to do what, Doug? Wait, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> Jump down on one of those deer, wrestle them to the ground, and tell them, tell everybody to stay away from here. <laughs> <laughs> or so, you could just put some netting over the shrub. That, that would be effective as well. It's too big. I'm going to have to spray it. Uh, so oh. let's talk a little bit because people are going to be inclined to see some plants that are going to be covered with snow out there, shrubs and evergreens especially, I say just leave them alone. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, feel like they need to go out there and rescue their shrubs. They go out with a broom and they try to knock the, they take their snow shovel, right, and they try to knock all the, uh, the snow off of those plants. But a lot of times when you do that, you end up breaking the stems of the plants uh, by accident, and you can do more harm than good. So in most cases, unless it's an extremely heavy snowfall, like, uh, 12 inches or more, you know, you want to just leave that snow lay on the plants. Um, and because what happens is, is it slowly melts, then the, the elasticity in those shrub boughs returns and they kind of go back into their regular position. So it's really not, it's really not a good idea to go out and knock that snow. Uh, just leave it and let it melt naturally when the time comes. All right. Sounds good. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this new basil I discovered at uh, that uh, trade show Mance Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. All right, congratulations to Mary Lee. She's the winner of that wonderful gift certificate from Sorgle. She happens to be from Beaver, Pennsylvania. Now would be a great time for you to phone in. All of our lines are open. You have a question? Call us 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, kittykvideo.com. Text us on the Red Automotive line. Best deal in town. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. 
All right, back at it, ladies and gentlemen. And the phones are starting to fill up, so we would love to hear from you. Jessica joining us on the phone today because of this crazy weather. And uh, Nanook of the North, Doug, made it into the studio. and uh, no, yeah, but you Barely made it in. Well, how long was it to get here? It wasn't long. It was just scary. You know, you just, you just don't want to be on the road when you can't see anything. No lines, no pavement, no nothing. And spend, someone zips by you in, spend, in a hurry. Spend the day with me. I'll show you scary. No, that's true. <laughs> that's no, right. I can't wait to go home. But you know, what did we both say? How lucky we are to do what we do. That's right. Because there are people out working. You have right? to have real jobs. People, yeah, working in these elements. Let's go to Gary and Butler for Doug and Jess on the Organic Gardeners on KDK Radio. Hi, Gary. Hey, good morning. Hey, just uh, thank you for your show, and I always enjoy listening to it. Just a real quick question about blue spruce. Uh, we're losing a lot of our blue spruce, uh, I, I believe, from a fungus. I, I guess I have a two, two-part question. Uh, number one, is there anything that you can do uh, to prevent it? And number two, is there any other type of evergreen tree that uh, you could plant that is not affected by this fungus? Well, Jess, we've talked a lot about the fungal problems with the blue spruce. What is that called again? Do you remember? Yeah, it's a canker. It's a type of canker, and I think it is Cytospora canker, or something similar to that. The guys at Davy Tree, um, they come on the show, talk about it an awful lot because it's really prevalent. I myself lost a big blue spruce in, in the front yard uh, a few years ago. It usually starts with one limb at a time dying from the bottom up and uh, until the whole tree dies. The unfortunate thing is there's really nothing that you can do um, once the tree is affected. You have to be really careful because it's spread very easily from one tree to the next on uh, pruning equipment. So if you're cutting off those boughs as they die, um, you need to make sure that you disinfect that pruning saw or, you know, clipper when moving from one tree to the next or even one branch to the next just to slow down that spread. But once you got it, there's not much you can do. Is there any way to prevent it? Is there any kind of fungal thing you can put on there just to try and slow it down before it hits the tree, or you just have to hope for the best? You have to not touch your tree. I mean, that's number one. Um, you know, don't don't prune it. Don't have somebody else come in and prune it because a lot of times, like I said, that those spores are transferred, um, you know, on that pruning equipment. So, for example, if they're coming through and, you know, pruning the spruces that you have for the electric lines, they're going from one plant to the next. They don't always have very good sanitation with that, and that is a quick way to spread it. Even if you do, you know, have clean pruning equipment and you're opening up, up an injury on that plant and the, the fungal spores, uh, you know, are in the air and can get on it that way, that's problematic as well. So don't injure the plant in any way and uh, just leave it be. You know, don't, don't do any pruning injury or, you know, run into it with a lawnmower and, or anything like that. But there's lots of lots of evergreens that uh, that don't you know get this pathogen. So things like white pine. Um, I don't think that Serbian spruce gets it. Um, I love the weeping Alaskan cedars. They don't get quite as big, but concolor firs are another good choice. Um, yeah, so so tons of choices at the garden center to replace that plant. So I uh, got, just got back from Baltimore, uh, was at the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show, and there was one thing there, Jess, that I was very excited to t- talk to you about. It's a new basil from Proven Winners called Amazel. It is uh, downy, mildew-resistant, and it's sterile. Uh, it will still try to flower and put some seeds on, but as long as you pinch them off, the they say that the flavor of the basil stays 
stays the way it does before it flowers. So finally, a uh, a basil that's uh, downy mildew redis- resistant. Oh, that is that is very very good news because I know so many gardeners have had issues in these last few summers that have been really wet with basil downy mildew. So what's it called again? Amazel M A A A M A Z E L Amazel. A M A Z E L. And is it going to hit the market this year? I yep, yep. It'll be out in the spring. Did you get the basil downy mildew this year? Um, you know, surprisingly, I had a little bit of it this year, but it wasn't until very late in the season. But the season before, uh, oh my goodness, it was terrible. It's sort of, you know, you flip over the leaf and on the underside, it has these sort of sooty black specks on the underside. And then eventually the leaves turn yellow and they all fall off the plant and you get a bunch of sticks. <laughs> and that's it. And no good basil. It, it really is really destructive. Did you have it in your garden? Uh, you know, same with you. The same way you did. Two years ago, it was really bad. I kept up to re re, you know, going to the nursery and buying new new basil to put in. And probably four times I replanted. But last year, it was good until the end of the season. So not too bad. But yeah, uh, the fact also that it's sterile uh, is interesting. So again, you know, I was actually kind of going old school. I, I wasn't so excited about the new stuff coming out. I wanted to stick with the old things that were doing good for me, but now I've got something I've got to try for sure. And as far as tomatoes go, I'm sticking, I think, with my my, my good old ones. But uh, Jess, I uh, interviewed uh, Gary Ibsen from Tomato Fest, and he grows 600, he's 74 years old, and him and his wife grow 600 different types of tomato, and he loves it, and he kind of gave me a couple other varieties. I'll see if I'll, I'm not going to talk about them because I don't know if I'm going to start them, but you know me, I probably will. <laughs> I, I have never known you to resist starting a tomato when someone gives you a new variety. I know, so. I know, it's it's awful. <laughs> have you seen anything Have you seen anything out there tomato-wise yet that uh, piques your interest? Well, you know, I've tried, I tried a few different ones last year. I always like to try one or two different varieties in addition to my old standbys. And frankly, I was not impressed by the two new varieties that I tried. So I'm thinking I might go with more of my, you know, my old favorite. You know, there's so many to like and there's so much diversity among them. But I really feel like tomatoes are one of those things where if you find your staples that you just love the flavor of, there really is no reason to not grow them or to take a gamble. Again, maybe a gamble on one or two new ones if you have enough space, but if you don't, stick to the ones that you really know you love until you taste one maybe that a friend grew uh, or that you got to sample from farmer's market. You know, that that's a better way to take that risk on whether or not something is going to be good, unless, of course, you have a lot of room, like it sounds like Mr. Ibsen has. Um, yeah, and, he grows, and he's growing in California, which makes things a little bit easier. Um, I should he, say so. He is introducing one that he has named for Anthony Bourdain. He was a big fan of Anthony Bourdain, and what they did was they crossed sun gold and Amish paste together, and it took about seven years to get a, uh, a tomato that stabilized, and it's just a big, heart-shaped, very tasty tomato. That might be one I've, I've got to try. I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting story behind it, though, and to interesting and very diverse tomatoes to go together to hybridize to make that yeah you gotta you gotta figure a little orange cherry with a big meaty paste tomato crossed together you're gonna get a a kind of a meaty i think a meaty tomato with that amazing sweet flavor so there's always something out there something new (laughs) that that again you know I'm, i'm trying to 
trying to stick with my favorites. Over the years, how many different varieties of tomato do you think you've grown? Because I've probably grown 50 different, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I would say probably I'm up there, maybe even a little more. Because when we had the farm, you know, we had a lot more space. And so I would, you know, try different varieties. But, you know, again, when you're selling at a farmer's market, you don't want to get too different, right? Because then people don't recognize them. And then you don't sell the ones that are a little too funky looking. Or you didn't back then. Maybe now I think people are a little more open to it. But, um, yeah, I'd say probably several dozen I've tried over the years. And after all that trying, it's funny because you still go back to your same favorites. I mean, I remember the first time I grew Snow White, which is a wonderful little white cherry tomato that is just, it's sort of what sun gold is to you is what Snow White is to me. <laughs> and I remember the first time I tried it, I was like, what the heck, a white cherry tomato? This is going to be gross. And I had it and I was like, oh, this is so not gross. And it's still my favorite. I'll be almost 20 years later. I still love growing that little white cherry tomato that's a great one that is a great one and by the way we were talking about people that really work farmers they do not close their farm on days like yeah today. no kidding they're out there working really <laughs> that's hard. a real job i know you think you have a real job then you have a farmer that's a real real job doug and jessica teach you how to keep it green the organic gardeners are on kdka radio you know, I got to tell you, if you can get out there later today, Janoski's Restaurant, great place to get a good meal, comfort food, meat to loaf, mashed potatoes, all that good stuff. Getting ready for their Valentine's Day buffet as well. So I want to tell you, if you're the um, 10th caller, you're going to win a gift certificate to uh, Janoski's out there in their farm and farm market expansion. Be the 10th caller, 412-922-1020. And we have a, another great sponsor back again. That's right. Uh, Jess, I want to tell you about going down to... Uh Chapins this week to get a bunch of herbs to build a windowsill herb garden. It's something I do every winter. I just love it. It's so much fun. And Chapins, they just they must have had a, a bench 20 feet long filled with herbs. And it was so much fun just to be planting and, and putting some herbs up on the windowsill. Oh, wow. That's good to know because, you know, herbs are one of those plants that many of them are pretty easy to grow on a windowsill as long as it gets enough sun. And if not, do they, do they have any grow light, little table? Oh, yeah, yeah, they've got them there. And, there. and then I got a plant that I'd never seen before. Maybe you know of it. It's called olive plant. And when you pinch it off, it smells like olives and it's supposed to taste like olives, too. I'd never seen it before. Oh, I'd never heard, I've never heard of that either. Well, that sounds really interesting. So they had a lot of cool stuff um, down there, curry plant, all sorts of stuff. Oh, cool. And, you know, again, herbs are pretty easy to grow on the windowsill, so it's a little way to get your green thumb fix over the wintertime. You ready to go to the phones, Rob? I am ready to go to the phones. Let's say hi to Elaine in the North Hills. Elaine, go ahead. You're on KDK Radio's Organic Garden. How's the weather up there in the North Hills, Elaine? (laughs) I don't know. I haven't been out in two days. (laughs) Good for you. Anyhow, I have a question for you because we just moved out here. Uh, May of last year, and um, we had the front of the yard professionally landscaped with those composite-type planters with deer-resistant plants in it, and I am blind, so I can't even tell you what I have out there. Uh, Since it's going to be bitter and the ice and everything, do you think that uh, I should put newspaper or something over and try to attach it to the composite garden? At this point, I don't think there's any point in doing anything. Just let it go and 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 see how it 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 does. Because uh, we're at a certain point in the season where I think you'd probably do, being, do more damage than good 
by doing that. What do you think, Jess? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, if you had it professionally landscaped, I would like to think that those landscapers were putting in plants that are fully hardy and that the materials that they used could easily withstand a Pennsylvania winter. So um, there's really nothing that you can or should do to further protect them. They'll be fine. Okay, can I give you, ask a second question? Sure, Elaine. We bought a real Christmas tree with a bulb, and um, we got it done on Babcock. So anyhow, um, we kept it in the house until about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. And it, it is right now in our garage in a box with, uh, you know, the it doesn't have heat in there, but it's trying to acclimate to the weather outside. Is this too cold for it, and do I need to put straw around it? Well, I think it's definitely too cold to put it out now. I don't. What, do you, what are we going to do, Jess? Because that ground's going to freeze solid here in a day or two. No, no, it's yeah. You know, that's the conundrum with living Christmas trees is you almost need to dig the planting hole uh, when you as soon as you get the tree and just let it sit empty until the plant is ready to acclimate to go back outside so that the hole then is already ready. Normally, you would put it in a garage and let it be in cold temperatures, and I think it's fine where it is now. I, I wouldn't worry about doing straw around the roots or anything like that because yeah, it is it's fairly protected. Garage, and it's going to stay there till spring. I'll have yeah, I'll be having someone put it in the ground for us. Do you have windows in the garage? Uh, in the front door. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the problem is, you know, you're, it's a lot of stress on that plant to be indoors and then to be in a place without a lot of light in the garage. So, okay. um, you know, if it makes it through to the spring, yeah, uh, you know, go ahead and plant it then. But I, I'm not so sure. I, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you. How's that? Okay, yeah. Our yard actually faces um, Wildwood Country Club. And so what we had planned on doing was buying a few Christmas trees each year, you know, use them at Christmas time, and then put them along the back fence. And I didn't know if we'll be able to do that from your advice you're telling me now because I um, I can't do it. I, I have some heart problems, so I can't be lifting things. Okay. And, you know, I just I have to have someone do it for me. I don't know how reliable they'll be. Yeah, it's probably best just then for her wait till spring, huh? If it was if it was another situation, I guess I would I would be thinking if you could if you could lift it and she can't, uh, I would want to right. whenever there's a thaw, I'd want to get it out and get some some light on it and at least leave the garage door open. Right, right. But I mean, and that's the thing. That's why when when people get living Christmas trees, they they have to plan ahead for it, right? So that it takes about two weeks to reacclimate it back outdoors by putting in a garage or something like that, and then it should go right out into the, you know, that hole that you had pre-dug. So this is a little bit of a special situation. Um, I'm hoping the plant will make it through till spring, but it's one of those things where, you know, only time will tell. Yeah. All right, listen, you got that uh, Mr. DeSantis and Company Home Show just around the bend. Yeah, right? we're uh, we're starting our planning for the uh, Home and Garden Show uh, at the convention center, and I've got a stage there. Uh, John told me that stage is yours, Doug. You do what you want with it, and so it's going to be at least three times a day. I'm going to be there. Something to think about when uh, when the weather breaks. Uh, it's going to be the first week of March, and you know, ten days. It is it is a blast. All the all the fans come, and I, I've certainly I'm, I'm just ordering some very special seed to give away there. I can't wait to tell you about it. All right, uh, stay with us because when we come back, more of your phone calls. And yes, Doug and Jess continue with the Organic Gardeners. Winner of that twenty five dollar gift certificate from Janoski's Route Thirty in Clinton is Vanessa from Pittsburgh. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. 
the Organic Gardeners over on KDKA Radio. It's that time again for Mrs. Know-It-All, our grower, horticulturist, and garden goddess, Denise Schreiber. How are you on this cold and snowy morning? I'm sitting in a nice warm room with a cat on my lap. Nice, (laughs) nice, nice. Yeah, so I was at um, the Tropical Plant International Expo this week down in Fort Lauderdale because... You poor thing. What's wrong with Fort Lauderdale? Oh, you poor thing. That sounds awful. Yeah, actually, it was a little on the cool side. I was a little disappointed. What, like actually. 60? Uh, no, it was 70, but there was a pretty there was a cold front moving in, so it was pretty windy, and, you know, we all had jackets on. You're breaking my heart. Yeah, I know I am, but saw some really cool things there. Um, so a lot of the Talancias uh, from Live Trends, and they have their little people uh, called the Thinkers, and then they have Thinkers 2.0, and they're just little figures that they put the Talancias on. They're great for people who don't really want to have to worry about you know their plants being watered, or they live in an apartment, or they can't be you know moving things around. These are little guys. You can put them right on a windowsill, and once a week maybe mist them or put them in a little water for a few minutes and drain them and put them right back, and that's all that's required of them. It's the coolest thing. So the, t- we, the Talanzia are attached to a, a figure? Is that what you're saying? Well, actually, oh. it's um, there's a hole in their head, <laughs> and you just plop it right in there. And it's, so it's not attached. You don't have to oh, worry okay. about that. And then um, there was a place called Eve, Eve's Garden, and what's really cool about this, this is a woman-certified-owned uh company and what she has are different little kind of grab and go gifts most of them are talancias uh which is really big at the show but they're already in a little gift bag um i she sells them in uh, grocery stores drug stores garden centers you can just you know oh um you know i've we're going to a party tonight you know let me take something instead of the usual bottle of wine which People bring me, and I have way too much of it. And, you know, go... You're complaining about that? You know what? We're not big wine drinkers. I probably have 20 bottles of wine. I'll be over at noon. Okay. You know, and so, you know, we saw cool things like that. And then we actually toured some of uh, the private gardens down there, including one called Patch of Heaven. And it is only open one day a month right now. It's just become a nonprofit, and they have orchids just hanging through the trees. It's a little further south in Homestead, Florida, and they have orchids hanging in the trees. They have, you know, a statuary. They have some carved pieces uh, of, of tropical wood that have been made into furniture down there that are just unbelievable. You, you actually want to go up and, like, pet the table because it's so beautiful. It has, like, the live edge that's real trendy right now. So we got to see a lot of that. And then we got to hear, you know, speakers and just see all these things that we grow as houseplants and they grow as trees. Wow. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little disappointing. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're glad to be back up north. Uh, no. <laughs> Thanks, Mrs. Know-It-All. Well, Jess, Jess what do you uh, know about Talanzia? Well, actually, it's funny that she brought up air plants because they are so trendy right now. In fact, they're so trendy that I went out and bought a bunch of them. Um, because you're I so trendy? Them. Because that's that's why, right? So uh, I was up at Quality Gardens up in um, Mars, 
Oh my gosh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was up in that area for something, and I, and I stopped by, and they had these cute little, they were, they're like uh, square frames, maybe eight inches by eight inches, and then they're strung with jute twine. So they have like a little uh, maze of jute twine in the center of this box, and you hang them on the wall, and then you put the tillandsia, you tuck them into the strings. So I hung up three of those on the up, in the upstairs bathroom, and I put a couple of tillandsia on each of them. And then I, I didn't think about the fact that it was right over the heat register for the forced air heat. So I did lose a couple of them because I didn't, um, I wasn't watering them enough or, or misting them enough. Because is that all you is that all you need to do is just have like a mister and and how often? Well, if you if you're just using a mister, you technically you should do it a couple of, a couple of times a week, which is sort of a misconception about air plants. People think you don't have to do anything to them, but that's not true. They still need water. They're from tropical environments. They live up in the trees in very humid climates, so they still need moisture. I don't do it that way because I don't want to miss get that water on the wall. So what I do is I take them out of those frames and I put them in a bowl of water for about 20 minutes, and I do that once a week on the same day that I water all my other house plants. And then I let them drain and then put them back onto display. But I did kill a few. So I ran down to Sorgold and they have a really cool uh some really cool ways to display them there too. And I picked up a couple more and, and tucked those in. Like people say the green ones are easier to care for than the sort of silvery ones and uh the silvery ones were the first ones that died for me because of the heat register. So I've replaced them with all green, and so far they seem to be doing really well. All right, Jess, time to say goodbye. Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to create a better place to garden. And a safer place to live.